0: Keep listening to learn how to properly posture yourself to get the best loan available on your next apartment acquisition. Before we get there, just a reminder that twice a month we do a gift card giveaway for the best written review on Apple Podcasts. Next week will be our next giveaway. So if you've been meaning to write that review, now is the time. Please go to the podcast home on your app or computer and write an honest review about the podcast and then stay tuned next Wednesday for me to announce the winner. I will put a link in the show notes to the Apple Podcast homepage, but if you're on your phone right now listening to this, tap the three dots at the bottom of the screen, then tap go to show, scroll to the bottom, tap the number of stars you want to give me, and go ahead and write your review. It's that simple. Now for this week's show. First of all, I've spent a considerable amount of time this last week speaking with various lenders in the commercial real estate space, and now I'd like to summarize and pass on that knowledge. So if you're an aspiring investor looking to get into the game or want to have a better understanding of the real estate lending market, this is the perfect show for you. I'd also like to thank the professionals that spent their time with me to explain the process. And oh, by the way, if you want to know who they are, go ahead and check the show notes out. And if you're looking for a loan, contact one of those professionals. Now, first of all, when we talk about money in a commercial real estate transaction, we have to look at what's called the capital stack. Now, I think of this as the different colors or categories of money. For me, it helps to visualize the stack. Now, since this is a podcast, I can't show you what I'm imagining. But think of a a stack of Lego or Duplo blocks. Each block in the stack has a different color and a different size. The lower on the stack the block is, the more secure its position from the financer's point of view. And therefore, the lower returns provided. Now, for the syndicator, the lower the block is on the stack, the lower the cost of money. In most cases, the block at the bottom of the stack represents debt financing or your loan. And that's where your lender comes in. Just like a mortgage on your home, debt financing in commercial real estate is typically done with a promissory note secured by the property. In layman's terms, the bank gives you a loan and can take the property away from you if you don't pay. Now, let's go a little deeper and talk about the cost of money. Like we said on the capital stack, the more secure a position is, the lower the cost of money. And lenders will give the best rates and terms for what they consider to be the lowest risk properties. When a lender looks at risk, there are two main things they're going to look at. Number one is the property and number two is the team regardless of whether it's a recourse or a non-recourse loan, the lender will want to underwrite both. For recourse loans, the team is the primary consideration, and for non-recourse loans, the property is first and foremost. So let's look at this from a lender's perspective and see what their risk profile is. Now, the number one rule in investing in real estate is location. Lenders will classify certain areas as primary, secondary, and tertiary markets, and their criteria for loans is different for each. Why? Well, the risk profile is different in the various metros. Primary markets include large cities like New York or Washington, D.C., which are typically more resilient than, say, case in point. I recently read an article that described how terrible the rental market was in New York City because of the coronavirus. It said that the vacancy rate was 200% higher than it was at this time last year. I went in and I started reading through the article, and it said that the current vacancy rate was now 6%. Citywide. Of course, you do the math, you realize that last year at this time, the vacancy rate in New York City for multifamily was 2%, which is relatively low compared to the rest of the United States. Now, in general, in primary markets, they're not driven by a single sector, and there's typically a large influx of people to work in these cities. Places like New York and DC, for example, will generally have higher occupancy rates, higher collections, higher rent growth on average, and more stable property prices. So from a lender's perspective, they'll give better terms and rates and potentially higher loan proceeds in the primary markets because there is less risk. Now moving on, let's look at the property itself. Lenders will generally have a cap to how much they'll lend to you, generally expressed as a percentage of the property value commonly referred to as LTV or loan to value. Depending on the lender and the loan program, investors can generally get up to 80% LTV, Now, looking at the risk level for a lender, the loan is typically secured by a first trust deed or a lien, meaning if the borrower defaults, the lender can take possession of the property. The higher the loan to value, the more risk involved to the lender. Now, to understand this, let's look at a potential default. Let's say there is a $10 million property with an $8 million loan. If the borrower defaults, the lender will want to recoup the investment. They'll take possession of the property and sell it. The 20% gap between the loan amount and the value provides a buffer for the lender to account for carrying costs, legal fees, seller costs, deferred maintenance, and any other costs involved in the foreclosure and selling the property process. So the lower the loan to value, the bigger the buffer the lender has in the event of a foreclosure, and therefore the lower the risk, which is typically rewarded by better terms. Now, typically an investor, for obvious reasons, will want to maximize the loan proceeds to take advantage of leverage but lower LTVs may give you slightly better terms and a better interest rate. Another thing about the property that lenders are going to look closely at is what's called the debt service coverage ratio. Now, depending on the loan program and whether it's a primary, secondary, or tertiary market, the lender will look for around a 1.25 ratio between the net operating income and the debt service expense. Essentially, the lender wants to ensure that the income from the property will be sufficient to cover the loan payments for the term of the loan. In primary markets, the DSCR, the debt service coverage ratio, may be 1.2 or lower. In tertiary markets, I've seen up to 1.4 as the minimum DSCR. Now, putting numbers alongside this to assist conceptually, the lender is going to take the loan payment and multiply it by their ratio to get the minimum NOI required to cover the loan. For example, if there's a loan payment of $10,000 and the lender requires a 1.25 DSCR, you multiply the two numbers together and the minimum monthly net operating income will have to be $12,500 before the lender will give you the proceeds on that loan. Of course, the lender will adjust loan proceeds upwards or downwards to make sure that the NOI covers the DSCR. And just like loan to value, if the property has a higher DSCR or debt service coverage ratio, this is a lower risk profile for the lender, which you may be rewarded with by slightly better terms. All right, now let's look at the team. You know, Once again, the lender looks at both the property and the team because, in short, an apartment building is not just a property, it is also a business. Now, what does the lender want to see from the ownership group? Now, several things. Number one, they want to see experience. You know, for obvious reasons, the lender wants the ownership group to have experience running multifamily properties. So if you're new to the business and looking to syndicate, you probably don't have experience running multifamily properties. So you're going to want to find a partner that can bring experience to the general partnership. Now, the second thing that lenders are going to ask for is liquidity they're going to want the partnership to have enough cash on hand to be able to cover payments for a certain amount of time. The GP will collectively need to have up to 12 months of liquidity in their personal accounts. And sometimes this liquidity is going to be put into an escrow account to be kept on the sidelines by the lender to guard against default. Now, the next thing that lenders are typically going to require is net worth. They want the general partnership to have enough collective net worth to cover the loan. Now, for a recourse loan, the lender will go after the general partnership's assets if they default. Non-recourse loans, the lender can go after a general partnership's assets if certain conditions are met. These are typically called the bad boy carve-outs. But in cases where fraud or illegalities are present, the lender can actually go after the personal assets of the general partnership. So to reduce the overall risk profile for the lender, they want the general partnership to have a combined net worth greater than or equal to the loan amount. Now, the next one to discuss is skin in the game. Lenders, once again, are generally going to want the partnership to invest their own funds into a deal. You know Generally, 10% of the capital raise should come from the GP. And from the lender's perspective, if the general partnership has their own money in the deal to lose, they are going to treat it a lot differently than if they had no money whatsoever to lose. Next on the list is a local presence. Lenders want to see GPs close to the property. The ownership is going to have to manage the property, and lenders understand that being further away from the management team, well, that's just a greater risk to the property. And by the way, a property management company can provide the local presence, but the lender will underwrite the property manager too. And once again, they're going to be looking for an experienced professional property manager that is close to the property itself. Now, finally, in a perfect world, all the above criteria for the GP should not be concentrated into one person. It can be, but this is a higher risk position for the lender. For example, if one person has all the net worth, all the liquidity, and all the experience, the lender may respond with stricter requirements in one area or another to be able to balance out their risk. So, aspiring investors, you just got a blueprint for getting the best terms on your next commercial real estate loan. In summary, the lender is going to look at the overall risk profile of the property and the partnership to determine the loan terms and proceeds. The better you understand the risk factors from the lender's point of view, the better you'll be able to plan and posture for that first deal. Of course, better terms sometimes mean lower loan proceeds, which does affect the overall return, so you'll have to balance the two and find a happy medium. And that's it for today's show. Stay tuned Friday when we bring on experienced investor Vince Gethings and aspiring investor Penny Lubinsky on another Ask the Expert episode. And don't forget to write that review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at foreoakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show. So pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.